Hello and welcome to The Game Agenda, a podcast where gay guys bring board games out of the closet and onto the table. I'm your host, I'm Larry. I'm Matt. I'm Nick. And today we're going to talk about a wonderful, exciting, and thrilling worker placement game for you all called Raiders of the North Sea. And then after we're going to talk about... um, Blinging out your board games, uh, fun and interesting ways that you can really make uh, your favorite board game kind of shine or different from, you know, that jerk down the street. But before we get to all that, let's do what we always do and talk about what we've been playing. Let's start with you, Nick. What have you been playing this week? So I just got back a little bit ago from um, Grand Prix Seattle. So I was there for about a week. I played a lot of Magic for... Uh, basically five days, and I got home and just wanted to play more Magic, because that's me. What kind of deck but, did you play at the Grand Prix? Um, so I played uh, the wrong deck, as it turned out. Uh, I played blue-black midrange. Because of because of some family stuff, I had to kind of lock in on a deck a lot earlier than I normally would have. I got less practice in. So my tournament performance was not um, not where it, what it should have been, as it turned out, despite playing all this Magic. Um, I kind of got even told that like my deck choice was very wrong by somebody who's much better than me and i was like <laughs> okay great like that's that's how we're starting my tournament <laughs> but like how would you have known that that was a wrong choice uh, just kind of the, the way that like the metagame was developing was um very hostile to my deck and kind of strategies that were very good were increasing in prevalence burn so, no not um red's like kind of was 50 50 the bigger problem was that it was a card called god pharaoh's gift which just kind of ignores everything I'm doing and wins in a totally different way. And I don't have a great solution to that. And I kind of was getting that sense and made some changes to make my deck better against it. But the right call would have just been do something else. So, you know, it, it happens. Uh, given everything else, I, I, I'm happy with how I prepared and some of the choices I made. But I think that ultimately, I, if I had more time, I would have come to a different conclusion. But the tournament was great. I saw a lot of amazing people, cosplayers, um, People from Wizards of the Coast, pro players, everybody. What was so the hottest was really cosplay exciting. you saw? <laughs> um, somebody did Brea. She looked amazing. How many guys had their shirts off? Uh, none. <laughs> oh, wait, there might have been one. But he was, he was pretty decent looking. So. All right. Well, yeah, Comic-Con, I guess, is a better cosplay place than uh, this Grand Gen Prix. Gen Con's not bad, too, usually. Yeah, well, they do a big parade in Gen Con, mm-hmm. which is fun. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Cosplay wasn't actually um, a big, despite, like, kind of coming out of the same conventions cosplay wasn't really present in magic until um kind of like 2010 2011 so when the planeswalkers came out no it was um it was one person was like oh i've done cosplays for other things and this magic thing is right in my hometown i'll go and i'll cosplay and she was the only one <laughs> like she was the only magic cosplayer at the time so they, she she cosplayed as a planeswalker well, or as, as a character planeswalker, yeah. yeah but yeah could you could like someone like cosplay as I don't know like oozing imp or whatever these stupid cards? <laughs> oh, are. I mean, people do all sorts of great ones. There was somebody who was cosplaying as an instant. There, uh, it's called Dark Ritual, and so they did one of the arts where it's kind of like um, which one? Like a, it was kind of uh, like the skeleton, like kind of like very much death incarnate, like mm-hmm. shaking. You know, um, has a book and kind of reading from it type thing. That sounds like um, demonic tutor to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, it's black. It's early black magic art, right? So like. 
they all kind of use the same but if you, hi here's a dead thing that's giving you something type but if you can't art. figure out what kind of card they're so cosplaying the good thing as is, so here's how you knew exactly what it was he, like, have he a had frame the big the card? cardboard oh, cut up okay. I'll try and send it to you so yes. maybe you can post it but it literally had a big old cardboard uh, I think he apparently like painted it in some fa- fashion too it wasn't like just laser printed or, or not laser printed just like copied onto this big old thing mm-hmm. but he had a whole big stand and it rolled around with him it was fantastic done done yep. love it love it love it love it how about you matt what have you been playing uh we had our gay board gamer meet up uh and i got to play Sulkin, uh which is one of my favorites um spinny dials yes all the spinning dials and it ironically actually uh, relates to our second topic today because my copy of Zulkin is blinged out. Do you, is it painted with? It we'll is have to talk fancy, about that. fancy painted. Talk about it now. That's for have the you, second topic. Have you played Zulkin before, Nick? No, it's me. but you don't like. <laughs> I, don't, I haven't played games. I love Zulkin, but so usually when I play Zulkin, I go for the building strategy, like build lots of buildings. No, you don't. You go for the like crystal skull strategy. No, I never have. You beat me with the crystal skull strategy. Crystal skull strategy. The first <laughs> say, time we played. Say that five times fast. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no, I, I really. I, I feel like I, I always go the building strategy. I get like a bunch of wonders or whatever they're called, the yeah. monuments. Well, so for, for um, folks who don't know, Zulkin is kind of a worker placement game, and you put uh, your guys out on these spinning wheels devoted to various kind of gods, and as the wheels progress their benefits get better and so each turn you have to make a decision as to whether you're going to put more guys out mm-hmm. or take all your guys back and claim the rewards for it's where like they're a at tempo game that's what i like Ooh. about it is it's very, very much, much it's very much like when do i go in when do i come out and like you're, you're planning things <laughs> you described so many wonderful things going in coming out, going in, coming planning out. things it's yeah it's great um but this time to change it up, I went with the crystal skull strategy. Huh. <laughs> Which, despite hmm. what Larry says, I never do that strategy. Hmm. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and Allegedly. I did like all the crystal skulls. And did you win? And I won. Yeah, go for it. By like 90 points. <laughs> did you play anything else at uh, the meetup? Uh, we played Werewolf like we always did. We played Encore. Which is this... Um, it's like name your tune. It's sort of, yeah. You basically you draw a category. You draw a card that has a word on it. Um, like it might say love. And then you... What's love got to do? Got to do with it. Exactly. So you sing... You have to sing songs that have that word in the song. Mm. Um, and I'm terrible at this game because I don't know pop culture or music at all. So... Um, yeah, you thought... Who was an opera singer? Who was a jazz let's move singer? On. Moving on. What, what did you play this week, Larry? I played the most amazing and fantastic and wonderful game in the world. It's called The Moving Game, where I had to pack up all of my board games into little itty-bitty boxes figure out what was the best and most efficient way to put them into the little itty-bitty boxes, and then move those little itty-bitty boxes into a big old truck and stack them in such a way that they wouldn't all crash and die, and then unloaded them and put them into a new big room. This game sounds really fun. Can I play? It's like Tetris. How and, you? No, you can't play now. It's done. Oh. And had you told me that you wanted to play, I really could have used your help a couple of days ago because it's co-op. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now that you're mentioning it, I'm picturing like a moving game. And it sounds, it sounds like it could be really fun. Well, could Mr. Be. Designer, we can talk about uh, planning <laughs> one out later if you'd like. But... All the stress of moving to a new place and none of the fun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wait, there's fun in exactly. moving? <laughs> Hmm. 
So yeah, so that's what I've been doing. I haven't had a chance really to play. Um, I'm just lucky to have my internet back on, which means I can play some Overwatch now. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting now to kind of get all my board game shelves in so I can move all my board games back in. And you got a bunch of Kickstarter things, right? Yes, yeah, so that's the annoying thing. I have a whole bunch of Kickstarters that come in, have come in now. Uh, thankfully, I've been able to change all my addresses, so they're coming to my new place or my work. I've had a drama with that as it relates to Seventh Continent, and that's a whole other story, but... I've had um, the Bloody Inn, the Bloody Inn, Bloody something or another come in, Murder Most Foul, I don't know. Uh, role player expansion. Role player expansion, um, the f- flow history. Um, uh, what else? Uh, uh, the party game where you're trying to like send things through a shield. I forget what it's called right now. Um, hmm. hey, did you see that one? I don't all think that Kickstarter. I have. Oh, it looks really, I haven't had to play it, a chance to play it, obviously, but it's, it looks really cool. You One person's like an alien. And one person is like the kid who knows who the alien is, and everybody else is like part of the government. And there is this force field that will only let certain things through based on a rule. So it might let only things that are read through. And so the alien knows what that is, mm. um, and the kid knows who the alien is. But everybody else is trying to guess what that rule is. Uh, in a in a certain period of time, okay. and so the alien is trying to kind of distract them or kind of lead them astray. The kid is trying to like, you know, avoid help the people or whatever. And mm-hmm. you know, so it's just it's one of those pseudo hidden role but pseudo party game things, kind of like cool. um, uh, Spyfall. Is, yes, I suppose. But I was thinking more of the Tokyo Two games, murder, murder, oh, no. murder, murder in Hong Kong, Kong. Yeah. Dis- murder, deception, deception in Hong Kong. Kong. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, murder I've been I, moving has taken so much out of me. Like all this board game knowledge has emptied out of my head to be filled. Well, the name of that game is also pretty absurd. <laughs> well, na- names of most games are pretty absurd. Yeah, very true. That's nah, so much simple. Rattle, battle, and roll. I mean, come on, that's pretty absurd. Yeah, but there's also like role player. That's very Minions and monsters, role player. R O L L, because there's dice involved. They think they're clever. <laughs> what anyway. isn't an absurd name is Raiders of the North Sea. It's actually not uh, an absurd that's game. That's pretty absurd name. name. That's, it literally describes Vikings. <laughs> they were the Raiders of the North Completely Sea. Completely nonsense. It is, it is, no, it's, it's absolutely the name. I mean, it's, it is it is an accurate description of the theme of the game, which leads us into our topic today. Raiders of the North Sea. So let's talk about that, shall we, guys? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. So um, Raiders of the North Sea was a Kickstarter game, uh, although I think now it's uh, released in stores. It's not just exclusive to Kickstarter, although there was a recent uh, Kickstarter, which is how I got my copy. And it's a game designed by Shem Phillips. Um, It's part, actually, of a series of three games. So it's like Raiders of the North Sea, Shipwrights of the North Sea, and... Uh, something else of the North, North is Sea. Is this the one that's there's like a tavern thing? Is that? I think that's one of the expansions for this game too. Okay. Yeah. So um, in this game, basically, you're playing as um, uh, raiders, raiders of the North Sea of the North Sea Vikings, <laughs> basically, uh, going out and pillaging kind of local castles and monasteries and and towns and villages. And you're basically trying to uh, grow your crew and accumulate victory points. Mm-hmm. By either going on daring raids, uh, having your crew killed in glorious battle, or providing offerings to the local chieftain or mm-hmm. arls, I think that's what they're called, right? Arl. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. It's not for the gods? I mm-hmm. No, I don't think no. so. I think it's to the arl. I think it's to the, the mm-hmm. local kind of like okay. head of the Viking dudes. 
Uh, and so you can like get sheep and gold and iron and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, but at the core of the game is basically a worker placement game. So let's talk about, um, well, I guess I didn't really explain the worker placement part, which is kind of, that was, there he is again. If you can hear it. The, raid, the raiders are coming. The raiders are coming. <laughs> Shazam has alerted us. Shazam, my beagle, has alerted us that, that raiders are on the North Sea on their way here. Um, Hopefully people actually heard that. I hope they did. If not, I'm going like, to <laughs> have to make him... I'll have to make him howl and like, insert yeah, it into well, the audio. Yes. <laughs> uh, but so in Raiders, it's a worker placement game. Everybody starts with a worker of a particular color. It's all the same color. And um, you place it down on a space and take the action of a space. But then the neat thing is, is then you then pick up a worker that's already on the board and you trigger that action. And as the game progresses, different colored workers open up. So there might be... Um, gray ones or white ones and black ones and depending on the spaces that uh, the 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 type of worker you have affects what space you can go to mm-hmm. or affects the type of benefit you get for example mm-hmm. the black ones give a lot of gold when you go to the treasury but if you go with a white or a gray one you get less gold that kind mm-hmm. of thing so um, it's a very interesting mechanic because unlike a typical worker placement game where you're kind of fighting for spaces here, you don't really ever, I think, feel like you are being locked out of a space. Mm-hmm. It's more a question of timing, yeah. right? It's about, well, I need to do this first, but I can't place my guy there because there's someone already there. Right. So I have to do this other thing, which I might not want to do first, but I need to kind of like, you know, delay to then be able to pick up the, the one that's already out there that I do mm-hmm. want to do. I found that, I found that really interesting. Isn't something I'd not seen in any other game before. I thought it was fantastic. I mean, we talked about this in stone age. How like one of my, one of the things I really don't like in games is when I feel like very just locked out of making any forward progress on whatever I'm trying to do. And this game is balanced around taking two actions fundamentally, right? Um, they may or may not be exactly what you want to do, but you'll always get to do at least one thing that advances your goal. Because if Larry did a thing I need and Matt did a thing I need, then I can at least pick up one of those and mm-hmm. then the next turn I'll be able to do the other. So I was slowed down a bit, um, but you know my other action gave me something, presumably. Um, well, I mean, the neat thing on that is, is let's say you were planning something right. and I took that space mm-hmm. by putting my worker there, there's a good chance that Matt might actually take that worker back on mm-hmm. his turn exactly. and open it back up again for you. Yep, I mean, it, exactly. Well, it, and what's great is that, like Nick was saying, you can always do one thing that you want. Mm-hmm. Like you can either place or pick up a worker. So you can always do one thing you want. And a lot of where the strategy and like planning comes around is the order of mm-hmm. your actions because you get two actions and a lot of them really matter. Like I may need to get my, I need to get some silver before I can go spend the silver to recruit somebody. So I'm hoping that Larry mm-hmm. will leave the person on the barracks and not put somebody on the silversmith. So that way I can go to the silversmith and then remove somebody from the barracks. So it's a lot of the timing, uh, you know, and then there's, there's some different ways like, you know, one of the places lets you use your, your cards, you get these crew members in your hand and they have different one-time effects you can use. And sometimes those will sort of duplicate different actions. So there's some flexibility there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's definitely very tactical for a worker placement yes. game, which I actually really like because it's very different. I mean, you have a shared pool of workers and you're just like on the mm-hmm. fly sort of turn turn deciding what to do. Uh, and I think that's, that's definitely something I haven't seen in a lot of worker placement games. And the, the pool of workers varies over time. You know, mm-hmm. it starts with three workers kind of already seated on the board. And 
as you raid new areas, different types of workers come into the pool, but the worker you use to do the raid is gone. Mm -hmm. So in theory, you could like bring in like three gray workers and then lose three black workers to raiding. And so now your options in terms of the general pool of workers is now three gray and three black, which limits really what options you might be able to take Mm -hmm. or limits the, the kind of advantageous spaces you might have Mm -hmm. with those colored workers. It's interesting to me. And I think that there is still plenty of strategy involved in terms of just, because what you don't want is to give somebody two actions that are very good for them. And I noticed that a few different times where I would alter how I played a little bit Mm -hmm. just to make sure that they couldn't like kind of combo off essentially. Um, So there's still some depth to it, but it never, I really enjoy that it never locked it locked you out of doing something that helped your game plan. And the other thing I liked that a lot of worker placement games do, and it's my least favorite thing is they don't have any action where you have to like spend your whole turn just like taking back your workers. Cause that always just feels like <laughs> such a waste of my time. Like, okay. Like I get to, you know, Larry takes a minute, Matt takes a minute and it's like, okay, I'll just take my guys back. And then Larry takes a minute. And so like, I haven't played the game for five minutes and I'm kind of bored by the time it gets to my turn. Again. No, I agree with that. It, I think the game moves really, really quickly. Yes, exactly. The pacing is really good. Mm-hmm. The flow of it, the turns are fast. You, you're like, okay, this is what I can do. And then it goes on. Uh, but back to the, the different workers, I think something that is really interesting with the different colored workers that I like about this game is when you like sort of the, like the gray and the white workers are generally a little bit better. Um, cause you can go on different raids and things with them. But what I like is once you get one, your next turn, it's gone because mm-hmm. you have one worker in front of you, whichever one you took from your last turn. And then the next turn you're going to place it and you're not going to get it back. And whatever you place it on one of the other two people mm-hmm. or three people have take the option to chance. take it and then get the same exact same benefit that you mm-hmm. got from it. Yep. So it, There is a kind of timing, back to your point, Nick, a Mm -hmm. timing mechanism about, well, do I want this one to do this move knowing Mm -hmm. that on my next turn, you know, Matt might be able to take it and score something even better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like how the sort of the depth of that strategy builds throughout the game, because at the beginning, I'm only thinking about what actions I want, because all the workers are the same color. But then once there's a new color of worker, now it's suddenly like, oh, well, you know, I want action A. But that gray worker is on action B, so maybe I'll take that one because then I'll be able to go on a raid. So Mm -hmm. it sort of gives different incentives to go to different places depending on what workers are out there. It's also a cool catch-up mechanic that, um, you know, if Mm -hmm. one person's able to get off to a raid very quickly because that's the only way to go get, you know, a gray worker or whatever is from these early Mm -hmm. raids. Um, That if one person's, like, kind of, you know, bad cards got drawn or whatever and they just can't quite assemble what they need or they kind of got a little bit locked out or they just played suboptimally, they have the option to take Matt's great worker that he just got because he's a little bit ahead. Mm -hmm. And that'll help them catch up a little bit, um, theoretically, uh, in terms of just having a couple of the places that... um, uh, that you always have available to you, quote unquote, mm-hmm. uh, do require that you have a great worker. So now you have that option to just go do the thing quickly and like that'll help you out. That's because there's three yeah. kind of main ways to win, right? I mean, right. there's three sources of victory points. Mm-hmm. There's raiding, mm-hmm. there's kind of killing your guys and doing these, these offerings. offerings. And so if my strategy is going to focus primarily on the offerings, I'm not going to be doing the high-level raids, making it likely that I'm going to be the mm-hmm. one to get you know, some of these uh, different colored workers. So by having someone else bring that worker in, I now can kind of snag it from the board and keep using it over and over for mm-hmm. the offering piece to score me the victory mm-hmm. points. So it, it, there's this kind of 
pull and and push in in terms of that mechanic between the three different sides of of the victory point rack Mm -hmm. yeah and and then generally the lower the lower point value raids are the ones that have more resources on them Mm -hmm. whereas the higher point value raids like the fortresses so they have fewer resources so it's it really is pushing you like in one direction or the other and what i like too about the workers is Generally, it's like it feels like the gray or white workers are an upgrade because you can't get them at the beginning, but they're not strictly better because mm-hmm. some of the places like harbors, you can't go there with a white person. Um, so it's like there's, you know, or you get less money for gray and white going to the silversmith than you do with a black person. Mm-hmm. Um can we just before we move on though? Can we just talk about the color of the people? Yeah, we have to talk about it. We've been skirting it until now. I think it was a poor design decision yes. to have white, black, and gray. Personally, Seriously. particularly having like the black ones be the ones that you start out with, and then you're like working up your way to the white ones. Yeah, to have the white ones be kind of the good workers that give you kind of the ideal places. The ones in the fortresses, like it's it just was bad. I would have preferred them to be kind of like random colors. Yeah. I would prefer them to be purple because I want purple in like every color. I just think it could have been cool different colors. Like we barely have player colors in the game. It's only used for scoring pretty much. We have no colored pieces other than the scoring. So I think they could have found more than four. There's only, it's only four player game too. They could have found three more colors. (laughs) Like it wouldn't have been that hard. It's really true. They could have just done like dark blue periwinkle and, you know, green or something. Yeah. Something different. You didn't say purple. Periwinkle kind of counts. No. Yeah, no okay, we can have royal purple and, and orange. magenta and, and orange. Um, no. Definitely orange. No, no one wants orange. Anyway. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the super awkward thing that came up all the time when we were playing where it was just like, I'm going to take the black. Hmm, that sounds awkward. <laughs> <laughs> that said, though, the, the graphic design and the illustrations for this game, I think, are really really compelling Mm -hmm. they're not um they're they're very stylized and i i they feel almost comic booky or like yes do you remember the um what is like the the i keep wanting to say java and it's not java a flash like the flash art stuff they feel very much like flash kind Mm -hmm. of animation to me yeah in terms of their look and angles that's very true yeah yeah and and the a big part of the art is all the character designs, mm-hmm. right? Because you're, you're filling up your crew with all these different characters. And I feel like the art really gives a lot of personality to them. Yeah. I, I also like that the components are, um, the actual like resources are shaped. So like, you know, the, the goods that you need to be able to go on a raid are shaped kind of like goods. And the, the, the cattle are shaped like, you know, cow's head. And I, I don't know if, they're they're small little meeples and it's you know it's a it's a nice touch that you know adds something to me Mm -hmm. um so we haven't even talked about it yet but they're all the characters that you're getting into your crew have different abilities so Mm -hmm. that's like a whole other element of the strategy to the game is figuring out how you want to like what kind of crew you want to put into your ship Mm -hmm. or the timing of when to use them because for Mm -hmm. example like there's a, a grave robber character who uh his ability is he'll let you swap out a guy in your crew for someone else in your hand. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a really expensive person in your hand, you can put a cheap guy into your crew and then swap them out with this, you know, this grave robber character. Mm -hmm. Um, I I liked it. I thought they were all very interesting in the ways that they played. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't think they were complicated. I think they were all fairly straightforward, but I think they led to some, um, 
uh, good decision making. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I think you had the. Did we have the hero expansion or something in yes, the game? Yes, I added mm-hmm. some that, heroes. That added uh, that added like a little bit of complexity to it, complexity to them. But for the most part, they were doing like very straightforward effects. There wasn't anything like truly mm-hmm. zany that like changed how the game played. They right. just gave you a little bit of a benefit. Um, that certainly, when you're you know when you have five of them in your crew, eventually is going to. How exactly you configure it matters a lot, but any one individual character is just doing a little bit to help out. I mean, I think great. some of the characters really matter. I think all oh, the very the, expensive ones. The the big, not even not even a lot of the expensive ones. The big thing with with the characters is you're either getting like high strength characters with like attacky raidy type abilities, or there's a, a lot of these really really low or sometimes even zero strength characters, and they have a very strong ability for like in town, like, sure. the like one, giving you the extra goods. For yeah, example. there's yeah. one that gives you an extra supply every time you gather supplies. There's mm-hmm. one that gives you extra silver every time you get silver. So those. I played two games of this, and in the first game, I went with all these low power, like, get lots of special things, and that was one strategy. And then this game, I was just like, berserker, berserker, high attack power. Um, mm-hmm. And I really like that both are viable strategies. Yeah, and I, the second time we played, I went for a totally different strategy. I went for a Valkyrie strategy, mm-hmm. where I was trying to kill my guys off and score victory points that way. I wasn't going for a whole lot of raids. I was going for very targeted raids on where the Valkyries were. And I knew there were spots that had multiple Valkyries there, mm-hmm. which I figured you guys wouldn't go for. And it was interesting because uh, most of the game I felt like I was behind. I was going to be like way behind. Mm-hmm. I didn't ultimately win. Uh, but at the end of the day, I felt like I was pretty close. I was back into the, the mix of things. You know, and I think yeah. it was like a five point swing. I think Nick mm-hmm. took an action towards the end that if he hadn't taken, it would have been probably enough yeah. for me to be it was really first, close. if not like a point behind. And second. we all had very different strategies, but mm-hmm. it was like like Nick was the like the armor guy, all super armor. Yeah, I, right? I felt like I just had very general strategy. I was doing a, like a little bit of everything, but armor mm-hmm. was the one thing that I could yeah. just make sure to make make it so that my guys didn't have to work quite as hard or my roles didn't have to be quite as good. Yeah, and I was just like full on all combat like mm-hmm. attack. Uh, and then Larry was going for the Valkyrie strategy, and it mm-hmm. was like, it could have been anybody's game. What what uh, kind of entry level do you think this is? Is this a medium, complex, a very light game? Where would you guys put that on the scale? I'd say medium. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably, I mean, it could even be like someone's first worker placement game. I and think I, this would be a, a good introduction to worker placement. I agree. I don't think it's overly complicated. It's, you're just... Putting a guy and taking a guy. Mm-hmm. You never have to worry about kind of being blocked off. And it's True. fairly straightforward on what you're trying to do. I like get enough resources to raid. Like you can have that basic, mm-hmm. basic strategy and and introduce people to the, come to the game. The only reason I think if somebody might be like like literally told like that's exactly what you should go for, like your first game, it might kinda of, it might work out that way. Um my thinking is there's like there's kind of a lot of noise for it to be like super like sound like light to me because there's a lot of you know you have all these resources gold matters for some things um you have to care about what the valkyries are which are just grouped in with all the other Mm -hmm. resources there's your each turn you're taking two individual actions both one put you know give somebody an option one takes away an option which maybe you do or don't think about it feels like it feels like a little bit too much for me to consider it like a light game like i'm trying thinking i don't like, think it's a light game yeah exactly i just don't i would just I, say I think it's, it's on ex- the lower end of it's, i think it's an accessible game yes. yes even though it is like a medium weight game so, so right. the person who we played the game with i don't think is a very complex gamer mm-hmm. he's someone who i yeah. think loves games and um but i don't think he plays very heavy games 
I feel like it took him just a little bit to kind of get the hang of it and into mm-hmm. the swing of things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, it was just easy fine. To, it's easy to teach. It's easy to pick up and start playing. I think that's, I think that's a, a going in its favor. Yeah, I guess I just, it Nick doesn't agree. I mean, well, I mean, just thinking back, those first few turns felt like so much AP for him when we were playing. Well, where it was, we didn't, not, not to call, not to call that person out. I'm just saying like, there's a lot to pay attention to yeah. if you've never played. And, but we didn't point him into a particular strategy. We just kind no, of said, didn't. here's the game. Well, exactly. And I, and I think if we did kind of point him, right. like, this is the basic strategy. I don't know mm-hmm. that you'd have that same AP. In my mind, like though, like a light game shouldn't require you saying like, "Hey, here's just this kind of like very straightforward thing." You should do that for your first game. It's not a light game. <laughs> you know? but right, stop, exactly. Stop, I mean, stop arguing. Stop arguing. Che- straw man. Cheeky None of us are like it's a cheeky light monkey game. is a light game. Like this is <laughs> well, not sure. cheeky monkey. Okay, but but yeah. this is. But I do think this is an accessible, accessible game yes. for a new gamer. Right. You know? yeah. this I, is, I think to... it is on the upper end of what I'd recommend for a new gamer. Like this is yes. sort of like. I think it's probably ideal that maybe they've like played some more, you know, they've mm-hmm. played like a ticket to ride or something, you know, and then you sort of, or, or Lords of Waterdeep, and then you bring them to this. And I think it, right. I think that'll be a great sweet spot. It absolutely. It's like if, if you're telling me that someone's first worker placement game is this, I, I could see that being totally fine. If they, you say that their first game is Agricola, I'm going to be like, oh, that's a little bit, yeah. <laughs> that's a little bit much for exactly. somebody who's never played a worker placement game. So this, this game has a number of expansions. This, uh, Raiders of the North Sea has mm-hmm. several expansions. I've not played with them yet. I'd be curious to see how that adds on or changes the game. But it also has two kind of companion games, which if you uh, you can play all three of them together, they can all connect. And how you how well you do in one game gives you certain tokens that you can then use for the next game to score and that sort of thing. Hmm. There's something kind of appealing uh, about that to me. I you know this game I think you can play it in 45 minutes to an hour and if all three of them are roughly that, that, that length, you can kind of play all three games over the course of a game night. Make a and, night of it. Yeah. Kind of have a, a Viking night, you know? <laughs> Something fun. Absolutely. That sounds, that sounds actually like a blast. I don't, I don't know. We've done the similar thing with Terraforming Mars where you kind of played through the three different maps. That's kind of similar. <laughs> I, could, I could be down for Viking night, right? Because <laughs> this game was fantastic. Yeah. So um, anybody else, any other comments before we get to final scoring, final, final decisions? Um, one thing that I really like, this is like totally going back to what we were talking about earlier, but that's fine. Uh, I think I like that the way the placing of the workers sort of, it's like, it rewards you for planning out ahead of time. So you can, you can like go and just as soon as you get enough supplies, you've got and raid, but then you don't have enough to raid again. And that worker then goes away. Or you can like build up a lot of supplies and go like you raid like the Harbor to get the gray worker. Then you, the next turn you still have enough supplies to send the gray work to the monastery Mm -hmm. to get the white worker. And the next turn you send your white work to the fortress. So I think planning that out to like, boom, boom, boom. I think that's really cool. Rewarding moment. There's a push your luck element to it because you might be gearing up to kind of raid these three Mm -hmm. spots and someone else snipes it before you do because they need that resource to make it's an true. offering to the Jarl, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that can definitely happen too. I mean, <laughs> and, and the way the board gets seated with like where the Valkyries are, where the cattle are, where the, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the gold are on the board, they change. It's, it's drawn randomly out of a mm-hmm. bag. And you, know, you might not have as many Valkyries on the board one game, or it's you might not have as much gold. Yep. It changes the way the game in plays. In fact, I think, well, in our two games that we played, just the overall scores were very different. Like, in one game, we all scored, like, over 50. And then in the other game, we all scored, like, 
no more than 50. I think so, part of it was there was a big rush to raid in the second game. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were a lot more Valkyries in the second mm-hmm. game than there and were less in the resources. first game. Yeah. yeah. So I think that, because the first game, everybody was doing offerings Yeah, all we the almost time. ran out of the offering uh-huh. deck in the first game. And in the second game, barely any offerings. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that's kind of great on a note for replayability that that changes it up a lot uh and definitely with the expansion too you get different character powers i think right and things like that i, I don't recall mm-hmm. i don't I, you know i've it's been a while since I've, I've looked at i don't know that you get character powers but i think there's a separate board that you can go to mm-hmm. um that uh you know, either lets you turn in resources or or has additional placement spots for workers um yeah so nick pass it Love it, like it. Uh, I like it. Um, it's bordering on love, but I, I think I'd need to give it a few more plays to know. But I did really enjoy this. Uh, worker placement is not my favorite genre, but I do see myself playing this multiple times if people want to keep playing it. Um, I, I really enjoy a lot of the decisions we talked, like we talked about with the mechanics. I like that it's very um, kind of random re- with the resources, so it doesn't feel like you can kind of plot out an optimal way to play. Um, you know, within a few games, which a lot of, you know, it, you can kind of figure that out with some games. Um, I think that it has a lot of replayability, which is exactly what I'm looking for in a game. Cause otherwise I just get bored. Cause I figure it out. How about you, Matt? I say it's a strong like for me. So I think it's a solid game. It has great, interesting new mechanics. The only thing that keeps it from being a love is it doesn't have like the engine building, like technology type mm. stuff that I love. Um, but it's still a very solid game. I personally love this game. I I think it's uh, it's fun. It's it's not overly complicated. I don't feel like it's a slow game. I feel like it's a game that I can kind of burn through quickly in the night and still feel like oh let's play it again or be ready to play something else. Mm-hmm. Um, I I oh, I've consistently enjoyed playing it. I I enjoy the decision making that's being presented. I just enjoy the art and looking at the art. So. Is for me this this checks a lot of boxes, so I I love it and I'd recommend it for for folks. Uh, so that brings I think our segment on Raiders of the North Sea to a close. Kerchunk, kerchunk. Yes, there we go. That's good. I like that one. Yeah, that worked for you. I did. Right. I like the noise I made. <laughs> How about my noise? It was decent. It was just decent. You're not even going to give it the descent. It was. I, I liked it. I didn't love it. Oh. <laughs> but I didn't pass either. I'll pass on it. I'll pass on it, Maddie. But uh, you know what would make it better? Is if you blinged that noise out in some way with maybe some sirens or some... Excellent you know, transition. Googly eyes. <laughs> you know. hand strikes again. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, which brings us to our next topic. Speak uh, of the devil. Uh, blinging out your, your board game. So we, we thought it'd be great to talk about um, ways in which various people you know, bring some extra kind of life or pizzazz to their board game. There are so many different ways to really, I think, show love for a game. Um, Be it, you know, what, box inserts, be it creative ways to just make your game unique or fancy or interesting. So uh, let's talk about some of them. I mean, Matt, have you ever blinged out any of your games in any sort of way? No. No? (laughs) 
No. Um, actually, I do have one game that I have blinked out, uh, and that is Keyflower, because a great friend of mine got me a Keyflower broken token insert. Uh, Those are fun. Yeah. They organize the game very, very well. So, uh, which is actually, it, it is really helpful for that game. Uh, the thing that's why? tough. Explain to people why it's helpful. So, um, broken token inserts for any game usually give you basically dedicated spots to put all your tiles that fit the tiles in the right shape. Mm-hmm. They fit all your cards, they fit all your pieces, and they all usually like close up all nicely so that nothing gets spilled around all over the place. Because honestly, most board games, even games that have inserts, a lot of them are not great. They're not. Um, and I, a lot of times you turn a box sideways on the shelf, and pff, when you open it up, it's all over the I place. I always throw out my game inserts, <laughs> unless it's essential for the game, like... Um, What's the island game that you're pulling tiles out? Um, why can't I think of it right now? Where there's the anarchy comes up. Um, crud. Yeah, forbidden Desert No, 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 no. It's, I don't, I've never it's, it's like a worker placement game. Island? Um, yes. You're See, on an island. this is what happens Bora when you Bora? move. Is it Bora Bora? No. Um, That's on an island, You're right? like colonizing it. And, Santa and Maria? Everybody has like a secret role, and one person might be like the anarchist trying to what? kind of push it into like a revolt. Seems like the reverse of Spirit so, Island. I, oh I don't know what this is. I'm going to have to put it someplace because it's going to drive me crazy. I can see it. It's kind of like an orange cover. Hmm. Um, there's so many anyway. with it. Anyway, that game has... Um, a dedicated insert that you need because it covers the sides of the tiles so you can't see what tile is going to be flipped. Um, so that sort of thing I keep. Bruges is another example. Bruges okay. has, but, but that's not obviously the game I'm thinking they of. They have a deck of cards but the card backs are different and they're in a specific little holder for the deck to draw. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think broken token inserts are very popular mm-hmm. and, and variation. There's many companies that make these sort of like wood-burned Mm-hmm. inserts where you get a big flat pack that has all the pieces in it then you like punch and cut them mm-hmm. out uh, and stick them together and sometimes glue them and it makes like a nice perfect each each insert is designed by the company to fit in the game box mm-hmm. and fit all of the exact components for that game i have the exact same thing for terraforming mars actually because i i, I was mm-hmm. um, complaining that i didn't really like um, just like a, a million bags and whatever that came with it for terraforming Mars and a friend who bought me it for my birthday and I adore it. Like it one, it's just, it's like very pleasing that it all fits together, like literally perfectly mm-hmm. in the box. So when you set everything in, it only fits together one way. So you have to do it. And then you put the last thing in and it's like you completed the puzzle and that's amazing. It keeps everything quick. Like you can pull, just, we just pull everything out of the box for mm-hmm. Terraforming Mars. We could start in like a minute and a half now instead of like five minutes of sorting stupid cubes and like where cards are and whatever. Um, My favorite thing about the Terraforming Mars insert is because Terraforming Mars has like a handful of these like special tiles that are only used for like one oh, card yes. each. There's like a special little tray just to hold mm-hmm. the like one of individual little tiles. It makes it so much easier to like, because otherwise you just have this stack of like you know, the brown tiles or whatever mm. that are all special. Or they get mixed in with the exactly. cities and the plants. And it just and... takes you forever to find the one stupid thing with the paw print on it. And you're like, this way you can pull it out. It's great. I love it. No, the nice thing about the, the, those mm-hmm. inserts are the overlays. Yes. The overlays that kind of keep everything. That's so, so important that, for Terraforming Mars. For, for Terraforming Mars. Mars and even for Terra Mystica. Those are both fantastic. I think really a big thing with the, with box inserts in my mind is there are games that benefit a lot from box inserts and games that 
are like, okay, sure, and you got a box insert for it. Terraforming Mars, because it has like a player board with cubes and things getting tracked on like things like that, mm-hmm. I think is a game that really benefits from having it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eclipse is another great example. That game, more than any, you've got your player sheet with a million cubes and discs on it. Somebody like slightly bumps the table and it's just like, mm-hmm. and you don't know where anything is. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting those like player boards is really functional and valuable. Archipelago. Larry looked it up. That was the game I was thinking of. <laughs> I have never heard of that game. You've never heard of Archipelago? I have not. Oh my gosh. You've never heard of Archipelago? Have you? Larry's never heard of any game. Yeah, Nick doesn't know <laughs> oh my any goodness. games. Is it Terraforming Mars? <laughs> it's, yeah, no, it's, it's Terraforming, Terraforming Island. Uh, you, Archipelago, you're playing as like a, your little workers and you kind of put them on different areas of the island to kind of control and everybody has a different wind condition. And so you have to work kind of cooperatively to keep the island from revolting but at the same time are trying to kind of fulfill your win condition to win. And there's these tiles that you flip over to explore, but you can't look at the sides, which is why you need to keep the, the insert. There we go. We there, got we go. there we go. Archipelago, <laughs> I feel so much better now. Slowly the knowledge is seeping back into my brain. Via, via Google. I mean. now Larry via can, Google on my phone. Now Larry like can minutes. rejoin the conversation. Uh, back, back in a part of the conversation so, again. I, we it, were talking about Terraforming Mars, of course. Yes. Um, <laughs> you, let, you seated the conversation in, to me. In your I went to Terraforming Mars. How did that happen? Um, How could that have happened? I, on to, oh, sorry, I was going to say, I, I think that one of the main reasons to kind of add things to a game in terms of in like my mind is functionality anything mm-hmm. that helps a game um be more organized yes. and more accessible so you don't have to sort a million things gloomhaven is, is also <sighs> really important yes i have the insert for gloomhaven and it's amazing i don't have the insert for gloomhaven and it haunts me every monday night well, I have to set up Gloomhaven. You, you know what the what the insert looks like. You've I know played what it's with like. the insert. I've played You've with it. You've experienced it, and now Although, you have to experience I will it without say, it. I have seen Gloomhaven inserts that are better <gasps> than no. your insert. There's a Gloomhaven insert where it literally comes with individual tuck boxes that fit both the cards and the punch board pieces for each monster type. So oh, then when wow. you're like that monster, you go find the little tuck box and you open it and you pull out all the cards and the pieces. What yes. on earth is a tuck box? Because it just makes me think of RuPaul's Drag Race. I'm like, sorry. Excuse me. You play Magic and you don't know what a tuck box is? No, what the heck is it's a tuck box? It's literally like... It's the box that cards come in. Like yeah. you, when you have a, <laughs> like a deck of playing cards, okay. that it's box... It's got like a little thing that tucks into the front and then you... Yeah. Okay. No, yeah. That, that, that totally makes sense. I just... I've never heard it referred that's to so that funny. way. That's so funny. Oh, yep. That's... And they oh, all have a picture boxes. of RuPaul on them. That's it's a defining feature. Yeah. What? So, <laughs> for the tech boxes, they all have to have a picture of RuPaul or Miss Vanjie. I'll pretend like I understand that reference. You know who RuPaul is. Right? I know who RuPaul is, but I don't know what RuPaul has to do with tuck boxes. Do you know what RuPaul right. has to do with tucking? Oh, Drag okay. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. Uh, so, other than box inserts. Are there other ways that folks have blinged out their game? Obviously, we kind of talked about it earlier in the episode. In Zulkin, there are all these plastic um, mm-hmm. discs. And so, like, and they have these kind of uh, pressed design into them. That's mm-hmm. kind of nice, but they're all kind of this orange color. Well, my discs, I've kind of painted a little bit and kind of, like, fluffed up the design to kind of make them look Well, pretty. the center one is supposed to literally be, like, the Mayan calendar, yeah. right? So yeah. it's got these cool designs on it. But then when somebody comes in and paints it, it looks really cool. Really pretty. Um, I also, in Agricola, which has a gazillion and one little animal meeples in it. Mm -hmm. It has like horse meeples and cow meeples and sheep meeples. I put little googly eyes on all of them from like 
you know, like your second grade arts you and crafts class. You individually put googly eyes on all of the animals? Yes. Cause How long did that they, take? Longer than it probably should have. But it was, <laughs> they look so cute with their little animal meeples, with their mm-hmm. little eyes. How like, many times have you played Agricola since then? Once. <laughs> but still, they look really, really cute. And I'm going to be super happy when I play it again. And they're all little animal meeples with all their little googly eyes. You know? And um, then... So there, we've sort of covered functional, like blinging, but that's not really blinging, right? I, I just no, want to it is not. blinging. It but is. But it, it, let's it, talk about some non-functional blinging, like googly eyes on your agricola that's animals. True. That's, that's not very functional, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair. Yeah, and like like um, uh, Lords of Waterdeep. Normally, they have just like colored cubes. Uh-huh. Well, I've ditched all those colored cubes, and I have little meeples with um, silkscreen etchings of like the wizards or the barbarians and all that stuff. That is them. essential. I will not play Lords of Waterdeep with the cubes. So you're saying again that's a functional one? Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Because I, I cannot, I cannot picture myself as a Lord of Waterdeep. When my quests that I'm sending people on just involve me picking up cubes and then turn them turning them in. It's so like, interesting because like I don't I don't even notice that they're cubes. Like it's they're just abstract concepts to you. Yes. <laughs> well, so there's a great website, um, Meeple Source. I think yes, it's called, Meeple Source that has a ton of meeples that you can use to mm-hmm. substitute in for things like yeah. uh, Pandemic. You know, they have little meeples for the people, and they have little meeples for the. Um, the germs. The germs. It's they so are very cute. cute. I've seen the cute yeah, little meeples for the yeah. pandemic germs. Um, and then, you know, some of the other games, they have like meeple resources mm-hmm. and stuff. And so that's just a fun, easy way to bling out your game. I mean, obviously, it, you have to buy it, so it costs a little bit of money. It's not mm-hmm. kind of a, a crafts project. But but it's fun. And it, it shows some love to the game. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, to your point, it doesn't add any function to the game. But it does, I think, add a level of enjoyment to yeah. it, you know, and, and it lets it lets you express yourself. You know, I come from obviously playing a lot of Magic. Like the cards people choose are very personalized, and I think that board games are the same way. Where in terms of like the like color oh, yeah. or what style, art, whether or like... whether your deck, you know, you, you can tell someone plays a deck religiously if the entire deck is all foil, or you know, some people will have all foil, all you know, Korean or something mm-hmm. like that. Or they found every promotional version of the card, or um, a one that's actually one that's pretty simple for a lot of people is making sure all the basic lands match and that nothing Ugh. is white bordered. I right? always make sure all the basic lands don't match. I don't like having two of the same basic Tw- lands. Which is going to hate you if you're ever on camera. <laughs> but just things like that to just sort of show, like it's almost like a status thing, like to show, like this is how I want to play, or you have an art that you prefer, or whatever. And I also prefer to mix new border with old border and black border with white border in you my do, lands. You just want to troll Twitch, which is totally fine. You can troll Twitch all you want because I don't really care what. I'm sure everybody on Twitch watches our podcast. If they don't, Matthew, they should. This is a podcast. There's nothing to see on Twitch. <laughs> Literally nothing to see on Twitch. Listens to our podcast. We are several episodes in. You still think that they could see us? <laughs> but going I, back to bling, though. Yeah, I was going to go just talk. Go back to board games. Like I, I think that probably one that we really haven't talked about, but like the most clear version of just expressing yourself through your game is painting miniatures. Yes. Like I yes. know people who paint every single miniature they get and they are all individual 
like how would they do this character? Mm-hmm. I think that's a really cool aspect um, that some people want to take advantage of. So you guys remember Rosando? He's the guy yeah. who painted my Kingdom Death Monster yeah. figures. He's painted like all of his Rising Sun figures. Mm-hmm. He painted all of his Blood Rage figures. They look stunning, stunning. So yes, absolutely, Nick. Yep. The uh, the thing is, is with with like like a, just a board game. Like I would always worry once they get painted because it is now such an art project of how do you store them? You know, how do you, mm-hmm. how do you kind of keep them safe? I mean, I know you seal them with, with like a lacquer to kind of protect the paint and stuff, but I, I don't know. I would still feel guilty about just kind of throwing them all together in a box and kind of put it on. Well, a that's shelf. why you got to have games like Gloomhaven where there's an individual little box for every mini tuck right. boxes, tuck box I learned for every somewhere. mini. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the interesting thing, you know, uh, there's websites online that will let you kind of design tuck boxes. So like for Camel mm-hmm. Up, I created tuck boxes for all those cards because yeah. it's really annoying to sort, but, but with kind of the internet and new technology, there's all kinds of other ways to uh, bling out your cards. They're not just printing up tuck boxes. I mean, I've seen people uh, print stuff with like a 3D printer or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, our friend, one of our friends has a Terraforming Mars game where he 3D printed all of the tiles. So they're like 3D little like forests and cities and things like that. Uh, and it's really fun because you play and the map actually like has depth to it. Uh, which is a, a pretty fun element. I would never... Actually, they all fit inside the box because he doesn't have an insert. So <laughs> there's a lot of empty air on the Terraform Mars box. People have done that uh, with uh, uh, Catan where they have mm-hmm. either you know 3D printed and then painted or molded with ceramic and whatever, um, all kinds of um, tiles for, for, for Catan. Which then, I don't know if you've seen some of the pictures of them. They look, they look gorgeous. How like, would you do stuff. that? Wouldn't, don't you have to put things on the different spaces for like mountains and whatever? Not like, on the actual tile. You put them you know, in, in the, between. the joins yeah. where they touch. Uh, so there's, right. there's space to do that. That is what's on interesting the, with Catan. On the tiles, I mean, you maybe need to put numbers. Just the number. That's uh, all right. And that, you know, is just a little disc that can sit. And then the robber, which again, can, can sit in the middle or something. Okay. Yeah. Bling, bling games is so interesting because to me, there's like so many games out there and I don't have a ton of games like Larry does, but even the number of games I have, I'm like, I, I'm the kind of person where I'm like, Ugh, well, if I start blinging them, then I'm going to want to do it to all of them. And like, it's expensive. It can be. Um, <laughs> it can be very expensive. These broken token inserts, some of them are like cost almost as much as the game in a lot of times. Oftentimes they do, yeah. yeah it might cost more for the terraforming Mars mm-hmm. one, actually. Yeah. I think but, it would actually cost more than the game. But doing stuff like putting, you know, the eyes on the meeples <laughs> or, mm-hmm. you know, 3D printing if you have your own 3D printer and, mm-hmm. or, or even painting if you know mm-hmm. you're, you're a painter. I think they show kind of a love for the game. Yeah. And, and I think let other folks kind of know that appreciation you know mm-hmm. if i go to a convention or if i go to a you know a meetup and uh, i've brought a copy of agricola and someone else has brought a copy of agricola and they're like oh let's play a game of agricola i'm going to kind of insist on that we play with right. you know my 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 well everybody's going to want to everybody's going to want to it's the same game but yeah. it just adds something to the experience it, mm-hmm. it shows kind of a love for the game mm-hmm. um even though i've only played it once since i did it <laughs> and that'll be the second time that you've played it yes um <laughs> So I don't know. Uh, I'd be curious to know from our listeners whether they bling out their games and in what ways they've they've done it. You know mm-hmm. what what they do. Is there are there ways to kind of bling it out other than kind of modifying kind of the the pieces or the resources that 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 they do that we haven't really thought of? Does sleeving cards count as blinging out a game? Uh, I 
I don't. I don't think it really does. I mean, yes, slightly. It can, slightly. Okay. Depends know? on what kind of sleeves they are. Are they solid diamond? Are solid diamond? Yeah. No. So are they solid diamond sleeves. No one has ever bought. Then no, it no. doesn't count. Because okay. like Hero Realms has a set of sleeves that are like specific to Hero Realm. They have kind of the art on the back and. I guess technically you've blinged it a little mm-hmm. bit, but I don't know that I would yeah. really lump that in the... I mean, yes, you've blinged it, but it, it's more kind of a core protection for the game as opposed to, I think, a, a, yeah. like a additional it fancy element. If it's, the, if it's fancy sleeves, I would well, count. Whether it counts or not, everyone should still sleeve their cards. <laughs> I, I disagree with Nick you Nick cries that. a little time every time he sees an unsleeved card. I know, that's not it at all. I just hate when I've played... I've, like, I hate well-worn copies of games with cards where they're now all sticky or whatever. It drives me... Well, sticky is gross. Finger but, grossness, like, grind yeah, on cards like, is pretty If gross. you're playing a game more than, like, once or twice, like, a lot of different people are probably going to touch the cards and now... After eating Cheetos. Play. Right, well, yeah, exactly. People do not eat Cheetos when they play my games. Pizza, <laughs> I can't help it. But Cheetos, no. I'm going to bring Cheetos to the next board game night. I will kill you. <laughs> I will kill you with, with the giant Cheeto. Like, you will, you will, I will, I will murder You'll you. You'll find the giant Cheeto in the bag and then murder with I will, it? yes, yes. Does each Cheeto bag, oh, because each Cheeto bag has a giant Cheeto. Mm-hmm. Is that the, Always. I don't eat a lot of Cheetos. Um, Neither do I, to be honest. <laughs> I like well-worn cards, though. I think, again, it, it shows that a game is, is, played and is loved and i mean as long as it's not ruining the card if it's worn Mm -hmm. i'm fine with that my my opinion on that is like if i play if i love a game so much and play it so much that i've worn down the cards to the point of being unplayable then i'll just buy another copy of the game but what if you can't get another copy of glory to rome that's that is actually if it's an if it's an out of print game then leave your cards what if i don't want to buy another copy of terraforming mars until they come out with a version with better art well you don't know you, you can bling, never you know how you could bring out that, that version will be will be manufactured on mars because we'll have a colony there by the time they do that i'll you, take it <laughs> you could always bling out your game nick by putting your own art on each card you know, inserting it into the sleeve. <laughs> I'd rather just go play another game. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll just get back to my game of terraforming Mars rather than coloring on all of them. Fine. fine. It's true. That's where I'm at. Is like it's like it's hard to be like to spend the time and to spend the money mm-hmm. on bringing out my games. Where I'm just like I just want to buy more games and play more games. So you guys are so funny because for you, you want you'd rather kind of play the game. And mm-hmm. and for me, I think there's something about that that kind of communal experience with the game or that personal experience Mm -hmm. with the game. You know, for me, one of the reasons why I collect games is they're art, you know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of an art. And so I think kind of blinging it out, adding stuff to it, you know, making it fun and neat and, you know, just different, I think furthers that interest for me. I think that's why I like it so much. I can totally appreciate it just as like an expression of what you value and what you want. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I think it's... I think that that's really cool that you want to take the time to do that. It's not at all for me. Like, I'll play Lords of Waterdeep with my stupid little cubes and it'll be great. I love that game. Well, I think it speaks to how much of a collector you are, right? Like, Mm -hmm. of the three of us, you're definitely, like, the collector of the group. Yeah. And it makes sense, then, that you're, like, prettying up your collection and making it look nice Mm -hmm. and everything like that. Yeah, I suppose that's true. So that, I think, brings this, uh, this topic and this episode to a close. So on that note, um, you know, let us know, how do you guys bling up your game? What do you do? Do you, do you think it's a waste of time, or does it bring kind of some joy and enjoyment to your game? Do you sleeve your cards? And if not, don't ask me to play a game, <laughs> because otherwise <laughs> I'm going to be very terrified of these gross, sticky cards. And also, <laughs> tell us what you think about Cheetos.
And the big Cheeto specifically. And the big Cheeto. The big Cheeto do you find the big, big Cheeto in your bag of Cheetos? And do you know where you guys can do all that at? <laughs> you can find us on, on Facebook at The Game Agenda, mm-hmm. on Instagram at The Game Agenda, on Twitter at The Game Agenda. Um, or you can leave a comment for us, you know, on SoundCloud or mm-hmm. on iTunes or anywhere else that you find. And uh, don't forget podcasts. to hit subscribe. Uh, Why would they want to do that, Matt? Because uh, then they get new episodes of the Game Agenda delivered to their device every week, where they can watch them, yes, or listen to them. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think that was a, a question, Matt. Are they going to watch or listen uh-huh. to the Game Agenda? Of course. I think that was his answer. (laughs) He's still not sure. Still not sure. All right, folks. Well, uh, with that, I think that brings this episode to a close. So thank you for listening. I'm Larry. I'm Matt. I'm Nick.